You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt, we're talking about a seven or eight mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. You're going to be sleeping in a wall tent, and you're going to be doing that for five days with the founder and CEO of Outdoor Edge, David Block. Now, if you've never been on an elk hunt before, I'm telling you right now, go sign up for this because if you ever hear a elk bugle, whether it's at 400 yards or it's at 40 yards, it is a life-changing experience. So here's how you enter. Go to OutdoorEdge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that. Go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit OutdoorEdge.com. Sign up today. And if you decide to purchase any products from the website, enter the discount code NATION30. That's the word NATION with the number 30 after that. No spaces. NATION30. And you will receive 30% off your purchase. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. And this week's show is sort of a Q&A session. So we, we went through a handful of questions you guys have sent in to us about trapping and and swivels um dove season's already open but we we answered a dove season question in there um out of state hunter question minimum acreage to hunt so we we ran through a handful of questions that uh you all have sent into us and we looked into the answers and thought it would be helpful to share it with everyone so before we get into that, I need to talk about our sponsor, Mastin's Deer Sense. So Mastin's, as the name implies, is a deer scent company, and they make a handful of interesting products. They have, of course, your your standard liquid scent, and we've had good luck with them. Jacob was actually using Mastin's scent last year when he uh, shot his buck, so we've had good success. The prices on those are, are really good. But they've also got some other interesting things. Um, I actually got in Jeff's car yesterday and and saw he had one of Mastin's scented deer candles in the in the door pocket of his car, and uh, so they make scented deer deer scented candles that uh, you can use with their double scent stacker. They've got scented gel crystals, so lots of interesting things. So check them out, MastinsDeerSense.com. Or go to ohiohuntsman.com slash sponsors, and you can find all of our sponsor information there. So with that, updates. I heard um, a few terrifying words as I was coming down into the into the basement to record. 
I heard my four-year-old say, Daddy, right now I'm in charge of the peanut butter. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we'll see what... Who knows what you're going to run into. <laughs> right. Hopefully Amanda can uh, keep that under under control. I'm I'm sure she can. But I guess... For me, Jeff and I, like as I alluded to, <clears throat> I was in Jeff's car. We went out and did some scouting and stand set up for our our parks hunt that uh, <clears throat> opens when season opens. So that was fun and exciting. Jeff, anything you want to add on that? Well, yeah, just the scouting for the the parks hunt. You know, that's that's an interesting you know, I don't know, set up. It's, it's an interesting exercise in scouting because we're not granted access until right before the season. Right. You know, it's a completely closed property until right before the season. Right. So it's an interesting time because you're basically scouting on maps and then have to go in person and, hope that what you scouted is you know what actually is there you know what you're envisioning in your head is what it actually turns out to be yeah so yeah that's yeah because you you basically have a month you know a little over a month month and a you know a week or two and to so it's not like you have all season to figure it out i guess is what i'm getting at you got to go in speed scout Basically, try to walk the property as best you can, identify some trees, you know, that, that you might hunt out of, you know, set stands if you're going to set stands or, you know, mark trees that you're going to come do a hanging hunt or use a climber in. And, you know, then after that, you don't really want to be tromping around through there doing scouting, if you will. You kind of want to go in once bang it all out and then get out of there until you're coming back to hopefully shoot a deer. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just always fun. You know, it's a, it's a good exercise really. in you know, scouting with maps, you know, you, you learn, you learn some tricks on how to use Google maps and Google earth and uh, you know, Onyx and hunt stand to predict what's actually going to be there, you know, because it's hard to tell sometimes. You know, it's like, okay, this is woods, but you know, what kind of woods are they? You know, are they is this, you know, conifer trees or is this, you know, like dense brush, you know, high stem count or is it wide open woods? You know, right. you, you don't know. Yeah, it sort of forces you to be super efficient with your your on the ground scouting because you can't just meander through and and walk every deer trail and you just I, I mean I guess the way we're approaching it right and and our schedules and <clears throat> you just can't do that you don't have the time to do it in in one afternoon so you kind of gotta. Like Jeff said, identify some places on the map. If you get there and go, oh, this isn't what I thought. This doesn't look good. Let's move on to the next spot and check it out. And then, you know, identify a few trees. Okay, there's a cluster of oaks here. Let's, I, you know, let's note that, you know, and let's move on to the next, you know, <clears throat> and just work your way through the, the property trying to, build out a a hunt plan if you will plus it's i mean it's does anybody know how many acres the area we have is roughly jacob do you know that one i don't exactly i mean it's typically they're right around like the hundred it's not i'll look it up real quick yeah because i'm not sure exactly i think ours this year is fairly large um but a lot of it is just open field grassy field yeah maybe shoulder chest to shoulder high grass 
Yeah, I think we might have like 160 acres, but a lot of it is open field. Right. Which they could lay down in, you know, especially because we saw some of that, right? There were some of these, we didn't walk through the big, huge field, but there was a smaller sort of more secluded field that had some like shrubs growing in it. And we saw some evidence of like, you know, a deer bed kind of tucked up under a bush and, you know, some old, uh, old rubs and stuff on the, that, that bush there. So. But yeah, yeah. I, I guess also, the point I was going to make was it's not like it's we got four guys that are are hunting this chunk. You know, it's not like it's a thousand acres sort of thing. You know, it's a it's a hundred. Right. Um, and we're trying to find four good spots where everybody goes in and feels confident that like, yep, I can see myself. You know, because that's that's hard, right? If you go like, well, I drew the short straw. I'm got, you know, I got the the gar hole. You know, like this is, meh. I guess I'm in the woods, but I don't. I'm, you know, I'm more confident that I'm not going to see a deer than I am that I'm going to see a deer. You know, it's hard to stay focused, and so you're trying to find four spots that everybody's like, yep, I like it. I'm confident in this spot. I'm, you know, ready to hunt, which is can be a challenge is a challenge right right and also like four spots that are easy to access and you accessing yours doesn't ruin someone else's spot yeah you know because that can also be kind of part of the challenge is like oh well you know this place and this place are both good spots but Basically, in order to get to that place, I have to walk through the bedding that you'd be trying to, you know, get deer coming out of. Right. Yeah. I mean, and even if they're not easy to access, but like you said, it's, it's, you know, I don't think any of us are opposed to, to not easy to access, but, you know, to your point, like you've got to, everybody has to have access that doesn't hurt the opportunities of the other guy you know and i guess we could all just decide we're not going to hunt the same days but what's the fun in that right right well especially with this property because it's back in off the road and if anyone gets a big deer it's gonna take some manpower to get them out yeah it's gonna be a suffer fest to, to drag a deer I mean, Jeff, you bought a, like a deer cart, which I think will, will help, um, because to just drag one on the ground, it, it, it's going to be a supper fest. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's what we're up to. Jake, you, uh, any updates? You had to work, uh, so you weren't there for our, Yeah, our, I wasn't there for the scouting, so yeah. I'm going off you. your guys's. Expertise there for that. We toted Jeff's ladder stands all over. <laughs> try here, Before try you there. Decided try where there. to put them. Yeah, well, it's hard, you know. I mean, like, yeah, you know, you don't want to leave them at the truck and then get right. to the spot and go, "Yep, this is great." Now I got to go all the way back and get, you know. So we yeah. kind of dr- drug them to sort of central, you know, like where the main trail splits off. But there was a you know, a few spots where it was like, no, this isn't, I mean, maybe, but, but I'd kind of like to see this other spot first, you know? And, and so we did a lot of, let's move it over. Let's drag it over here and leave it here. Yeah. Let's go back and get it. And we'll, you know, we'll head over this way. And, you know, it's just, I guess that's sort of the point. It's right. It's tough. (laughs) Yeah. Especially with a ladder stand Uh, that like, once you set it, it's, there right not you moving on it right. yeah <clears throat> if you put it in a spot that ends up being a dud it's like well that that stand is out of commission basically you're not going to go in in your you know month and a half worth of season right. with all that noise and disturbance and and move it right uh i don't have too much going on i still don't have any regular buck activity on my property i got a few pictures of a decent one but 
he hasn't been back in front of my camera. So, I mean, he's around, but he's not living on my property, we'll say. Uh, still tons of doe activity, so still plan on hopefully thinning that out a little bit here in the coming weeks, but not too much other than that. I got Lily sighted in, ready to go. She's excited. Um, so, yeah, it's really about it, though, in terms of prep or anything going on. I haven't done much, just kind of have my ground blind up and trying to get it set up for Lily to go with me hunting at the property. So That's cool. Yeah, that's about it. I, uh, well, <laughs> lost an arrow yesterday. Uh-oh. My neighbor, well, it was half my fault, half the neighbor's fault. The neighbor brought his bag target out and was shooting it, shooting it. And I wanted to put my broadhead on and make sure it flew similar enough or close enough, which in the past it has to my field tips. I've been pretty fortunate with the broadhead arrow combination I have. My broadheads fly pretty darn near the same as my field tips. But I wanted to verify it. Didn't want to take any chances. But I didn't want to. The target I had was my new bow target. And it. I didn't want to shoot a broadhead into it because it was hard enough getting field tips out of it. I couldn't even imagine trying to drag a broadhead back out of it. It's just a. The way it's designed, it says you can shoot broadheads into it, but you're going to destroy your broadhead and or the target. Um, so he's like, oh, shoot it at my bag. It's, you know, it's on its last leg. Anyhow, I've had it for a couple of years. And I questioned him. I'm like, well, you know, I, I usually go, it usually I'll shoot through a lot of targets. So I have to put two back to back or whatever. So I don't go up to the fletchings. And he's like, oh, it, this bag has always stopped mine. And he has a, crossbow i'm like i trusted him <laughs> and i didn't put anything behind it and i shot right through his target and lost the arrow <laughs> uh. which was partially my fault because i aimed towards the top of the target and it's a bag target so a lot of the guts settled to the bottom i should have aimed plus i would it was so that part was mine i should have not shot at the top of the target because then if it would have went through, if I was aiming at the bottom, it would have went through into the ground. Instead, I was aiming parallel to the ground, kind of at the top of this target. So it sailed right through and went off into the tall grass. And he hasn't, he feels bad, but he hasn't found it yet. He told me he was going to go out there with a metal detector <laughs> today. Uh-huh. You I might said, find it. Yeah, Dad found one that way. Yeah. I said, it'll show up. We checked last night. And the only part that went off on his metal detector was the ring, the insert where the broadhead screws in mm -hmm. that triggered. So, but the actual broadhead itself wasn't making his metal detector go off. So really, yeah, I don't know. I don't even know what my broadheads are made out of, but apparently it's something that his metal detector didn't like. Huh. I don't know, but the ring, the insert, triggered so i don't know he said he was going to be out there looking today because he feels bad but it is what it is yeah. we'll find it it'll turn up eventually yeah dad's I, if i recall he was more concerned because it was like in his yard he was you know worried yeah. somebody would step on it or something but yeah right. i mean it's yeah so it happens but luckily i have spares <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we'll uh, get into the topic then. Welcome to the Ohio Huntsman Podcast, where three brothers, Jason, Jacob, and Jeff, discuss all things hunting in Ohio. Our goal is to be your source for accurate and reliable hunting news and conservation issues in the great state of Ohio, as well as some fun and interesting conversations along the way. This is the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. Are you listening? All right, so Q&A. We've been, uh, I think, maybe partially because the ODNR site has been in some, some transition. I think 
we've been getting a fair number of questions regarding like regulations and and rules and uh i guess i'll i'll preface this with the caveat that uh you know we are not the we are not the law we are not the odnr so you know double check all of this before you act on it and you know you may be listening to this at some point in the future and things may have changed so anywho we're going to run through some Q&A, basically questions that you all have been sending us either on the website or through through Instagram, Facebook, any of those places where you guys can get in touch with us, leave a comment, um, any of that. We, we do our best to answer those questions for you individually, but we thought it would be helpful to run through some on the podcast. So I'm going to run through... A few that we got on the website. Jeff, I think you said you were going to pull some from Facebook and or Instagram that, that maybe weren't necessarily directed at us, but were in some of the forums or, and things. Is that right? Yeah, just some questions that get asked fairly frequently, you know, on Instagram and Facebook and places like that. Okay. Yeah. And then, Jake, you said uh, you've been seeing some some stirrings or, or maybe some updates from the Ohio elk community. There's been some, some, I don't know, some updates to that are noteworthy that we were going to touch on also. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like there's the one group that I've, I'm a member of kind of, I just kind of follow as a bystander, but um, it seems to be gaining a lot of traction. Um, but then with that, there's a little bit of pushback from other communities so i figured we would touch on that and kind of just get all of our opinions and kind of just talk through it sure yeah so that's what uh, you can expect on this one so i guess let's jump into some of these questions so this was a <coughs> excuse me this was a website question uh, submitted as a as a comment on our website and it's it's Actually, a trapping question, which we haven't talked a ton about trapping, but uh, he asks, when the regs say you can use a foothold trap, quote, larger than five and three eighths, but under six inches, provided the trap has a minimum of three swivel points, he wants to know what are they saying, the, the chain attached to the trap? And so I'm assuming he's asking about the three swivel points and if in fact that's what he's asking about, that's the way I answered the question back to him. <clears throat> yes, the traps under that size, they only require two swivel points. But in the regs book, the 2020-2021 the regs book, uh, page 35 specifies three swivel points. And I think typically traps come with two, right? You've got a swivel point, like on a, a you know, this is a like a leg hold trap. They come with a swivel point under the trap where the chain attaches to the trap. Then there's a swivel point at the end of the chain that, that is pre-attached to the trap. And I think this is just saying that you would need a third trap or a, a third trap, a third swivel point to be legal for traps with jaws that fall into that five and three eighths to six inches uh, size. Jeff, Jake, is that your understanding on that as well? Yeah, that's how I understand it. Yep. Okay, so moving on, there was another question actually about dove season. And Jeff, you can provide some context on this one, but he asks, does anyone know if, if dove season in Ohio starts at sunrise or at noon this year? And so, again, page 18 of the, the regs book from this year, there's a there's a, you know, they have the tables of species and season open and close dates. And at the bottom of that table, it specifies that uh, season is from sunrise to sunset unless otherwise noted. And so that's how we answered the question. But, but Jeff, you said that in the past there have been some dove fields yeah. that were draws or something. Yeah. In the past, um, 
some of the dove fields that are planted on wildlife areas um, have been a lottery draw for the first day or two of the season, um, which again, this year, some of them are. Um, but those lottery hunts would go till noon and then anyone in the public could then hunt those areas. Um, I believe this year, all of the lottery draws are full day hunts. So those areas will be closed the first two days of season to anyone in the general public. And then, uh, it'll, they'll be open public hunting. And this year, I don't think it's going to affect people that much because the season opens up the middle of the week. So I don't think there'll be a ton of people, you know, trying to get out there the first two days. Um, but I could be wrong. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of the context behind that is some of the uh, areas. I also think some of the dove fields and this is goes back a couple of years were planted very close to uh marshes and in order to kind of prevent conflict between the duck hunters and the dove hunters they kind of made the dove field be an afternoon so that the duck hunters could have their hunting you know without there being a bunch of shooting going on right next door that is preventing the ducks from coming in. Okay. All right. So then I think the last one I'm going to run through here is this guy is a out of state resident and his mom owns, uh, owns property, owns land outside of Coshocton. And he wanted to know if he needed to purchase an out-of-state license to hunt this land. And he also asked about the regulations on private land. So private land, he would need the regular stuff, right? He's a non-resident. He needs a non-resident license and tags. Uh, Wait a minute. What are the regulations on? Yes. Public land. Yes. Sorry. Yes. So I guess I'm I guess I'm confused by his question his the part of his question about regulations on private land there you know the only thing that's different between public and private is the the antlerless after gun season restriction right um but Jeff pointed me cuz I was Actually, I think going to answer this guy wrong. Jeff pointed me to page 35 of the regs book this year under the license exemption section. And it depends. Basically, I think what we concluded is, and this again is one that, you know, you definitely want to double check us, but page 35 of the regs book, it depends on if his mother is a resident landowner or a non-resident landowner. So number one under license exemption says Ohio resident landowners, spouses, and their children are not required to have a hunting license, fur taker permit, deer tag, deer management permit, spring and fall turkey permit, or wetland stamp when hunting or trapping on land they own. So if, if way I'm understanding this is if his, mom is a resident let's say she lives on that 80 acres he would not have to purchase a license or tag number two says if she's a non-resident landowner a non-resident landowner and the spouse and children living with the landowner may hunt on that property without a license either sex deer permit you know the whole thing a, a license or tag Provided the non-resident's home state allows residents of Ohio owning property in the non-resident's home state and the spouse and children living with the Ohio property owner to hunt without a license or deer tag. So that it, that gets a little confusing, but if he lived—so 
if she well, let's sort of break this down. If she owns the property, the 80 acres outside of Coshocton, but she does not live in Ohio, he would have to live with her, right? Because it said a non-resident landowner, so she would be the non-resident landowner, and the spouse and children living with the landowner. So he would have to be living with his mom at the time, could hunt that 80 acres in Ohio without a license or tag, provided that he says he's a Louisiana resident. So provided that Louisiana has a reciprocal agreement, basically, is what it, it's saying. As long as non-resident Ohio, Ohio residents who own property as a non-resident in Louisiana are given the same privileges. I think I, <laughs> I, think I spelled that out correctly. Um, Jake, Jeff, anything to add on that one? Yeah, I think you you spelled it out correctly. Um, there's two more things to add in this area. Um, there's also an exemption for if you are an Ohio resident landowner, your grandchildren under the age of 18 can hunt your property under landowner um, qualifications. Okay. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing, that gets asked a lot um, is how much land do I have to have to hunt under as a landowner? And there, there is no minimum acreage. Um, I believe there used to be quite a few years ago, um, but currently there is no minimum acreage where you could kind of run into some trouble is in like waterfowl hunting or um, deer hunting where you could shoot an animal, wound it, and it could go on another property. Um, if you were to go on that other property to finish the animal, you you then are hunting without a license. Right. Yeah, you know, there is... Yeah, it gets tricky. Yeah, yeah. So you you kind of... If you're really counting on that, you want to make sure that you are able to both, you know, shoot and, you know, the animal's not going to go off your property um, wounded because you could really get into a really sticky situation there where, I mean, you don't want to leave an animal wounded, but you also legally have no ability without you know, purchasing a license or, you know, to, to go finish that animal. So that's just something to think about. Yeah. So those are the the handful of questions that, uh, that we got through the website. We've, we also had, um, a few people reach out about, you know, looking for somebody to mentor them and, you know, we we also appreciate those requests. And, you know, while we can't guarantee that we'll find somebody, you know, we'll do our best to put you in contact with somebody that that might be able to find somebody. You know, it just depends on where you are, if we know somebody in the area, that sort of thing. So you can always reach out. You know, we've got our, our Facebook community. That would be another good way if you're looking for somebody to mentor you reach out on there. You know, there's, I'm sure, well, again, I can't guarantee that, but we do our best to, to keep that community friendly and, and civil, I guess, uh, as best as, as best as we can. And so if you're looking for somebody to hunt with or, or a mentor, if you're looking to get into hunting, that would be another good resource. So Jeff, you want to get into your questions that you've picked up from the interwebs yeah yeah so we already did the uh the one how many acres do i need to be a landowner to hunt under landowner permits um the other one that i see a lot um and i'm not sure why the confusion um why it's but uh is can i hunt with a handgun 
and what are the stipulations? Um, which the answer is hang on, yes. So, oh, okay. I was gonna try and do it from memory. Oh, okay. You well, you can you finish it? Can you? Well, um, yes, you can hunt with a handgun. I want to say there was there's a barrel length, a minimum. Is there a barrel length thing? It's got to be six inch barrel or something. Five. Five. Okay. Yes, and I this maybe is where a little bit of the confusion comes in is how the barrel's measured. Oh. Um, the barrel is measured from the front of the cylinder or chamber to the end of the barrel. So if you're hunting with a revolver, you don't get to count the cylinder okay. as part of that length. Um, so, and then obviously the other stipulation is it has to you can't use like a 30-06 handgun you know you have it has to be a legal straight wall oh, cartridge I see. I see you know because you 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 could you know they they make ar handguns now yeah and, yeah you know which but those are the stipulations okay. um so that is basically that one and then the other one that I see a lot is uh, hunting squirrels with an air gun, which mm. the answer to that is... Like, are you allowed to hunt squirrels with yes. an air gun? Okay. Yes. And the answer to that is yes. You know, there isn't really much in the way of, you know, stipulations on that one. You know, the answer is basically just flat out, yes, you are allowed. Oh, interesting. I'm surprised there's not like a minimum like caliber size. Yeah. Or, or like feet per second or, you know, which I guess, I don't know. How would you ever, how would you enforce, you know, if there was like a feet per second restriction, you know, it needs to right shoot a projectile at X feet per second. How would you ever enforce that in the field? But yeah, I guess I'm kind of surprised that there isn't at least some sort of minimum just it, probably because there's so few people that do it that it it doesn't maybe it doesn't warrant the the specificity right right i need to pause here briefly and talk about our sponsor monster whitetail grub so monster whitetail grub is an ohio deer feed company and not only are they based out of ohio but they also try to source their ingredients from ohio so that means a lot to me supporting and helping the Ohio economy especially in the in these weird and strange times we're in and not only that but it's a good product they've got their signature monster white tail grub feed which is a high protein feed it's got powdered mineral mixed in it, it's more of a coarse feed they've got flavored corn which turns corn standard corn and into more of like a long range attractant and then they've got just regular powdered mineral if you want to just run straight mineral so lots of different options you can choose from and they're getting their product in more and more retail locations so check your local retailer for monster whitetail grub if they don't have it ask them to carry it and in the meantime while they're working on that you can go to ohiohuntsman.com sponsors and get in touch with them and order some of their stuff now let's get back into the conversation all right so jake you you know we, we touched on it briefly at the beginning but you want to kind of intro the the ohio elk update or what's going on there yeah so like i said i i don't actively participate but i'm part of a basically a restore elk to ohio facebook group that um, I'm sure there's other members of our podcast that are part of this group. It's a pretty big group and it's growing pretty quickly. Um, at this time of year, you know, it gets people get in the mindset of deer hunting, ungulate hunting, you know, elk season is starting out West. So it really gets a lot of traction this time of year. Um, and one of the administrators or moderators or whatever you want to call it, um, posted kind of just a, 
I guess an advertisement for the group, like, hey, we're doing this, we're trying to get this movement rolling, get people on board in a like a just a general Ohio outdoors page. Um and got some support and some new members from it, but uh, also got a lot of pushback and kind of negative attention from other Ohio outdoorsmen um, for various reasons. But the one that kind of caught my eye that I figured we could kind of discuss a little bit was basically the argument was that Ohio doesn't isn't capable or doesn't effectively manage their existing species um, with the argument being that the deer herds are down and, you know, there's already bear in Ohio, but we're not really doing much to manage that. And, um, you know, so it's just kind of why, right. Why we, why I guess reintroduce a new species because it's not introduced elk used to be in Ohio. There's evidence of that. Um, but why reintroduce the elk to Ohio if we can't even manage what we already have? Yeah. Well, I'm going to um, jump in here real quick as a biologist and just the, cause it is a introduce a new species um, because the, I guess that's the, true. The yeah. species of elk that lived in Ohio um, are now, and the subspecies I should say um, are now extinct. Um, and most likely the closest relative species, you know, subspecies, the closest subspecies to what were in Ohio, most likely we couldn't get our hands on that stock of elk to repopulate um, because it's also a small population and uh, I it would be difficult to uh, get other game agencies to give us, you know, elk from that population. You know, they're struggling to manage it as it is. It's a population in the U.S. or it's outside? Um, I, I'm not sure if any of them come into the U.S., um, but it's in it's a Manitoban, I believe, is where the majority of the population is and it's you know more of a woodland species to to ours um and i'm not i'm not sure if it also if their range extends down into the u.s or not okay um but most likely we would be introducing rocky mountain elk or actually we would probably try and this is just speculation. We would probably try to get elk from Kentucky, you know, their population, because their population is doing very well. And we would probably try to get some elk from them, because also they've sort of had a few years of uh, evolution, if you will, in a similar climate. You know, they've kind of, that population has adapted to living in this area of the country. But so it's, uh, basically all I'm saying is it's, it wouldn't be a a holistic, like, you know, this exact species, subspecies lived here and now we're bringing it back. You know, it'd be similar to how some of the wild turkey populations have been reintroduced. Okay. So, Jeff, does that change? I guess you didn't really clearly state what your opinion is on bringing elk back to Ohio, but the fact that it's not the original species, does that change it at all in your mind? Does that make it more of introducing an exotic species versus reintroducing the original species? Would you put less stock it, in that because of that? Yeah. Yes, it puts it more into a gray area. I, I feel that if if it was the exact species and subspecies that we had, we would have an obligation to reintroduce it. Um, if if our current habitat could could sustain a population, 
um, you know, we would we would have an obligation to do it as conservationists. Um, right. Because our subspecies is extinct, um, it makes it more of a gray area and more of a more research needs to be done, if you will, than if it was the exact same subspecies. Um, just to, to make sure that our habitat will sustain it and that economically it's something that we want to do. Um, I mean, obviously introducing any new ungulate into the state, you have to worry about chronic wasting disease and things like that. Um, but also elk have been extirpated from Ohio for quite some time now. And we've built a lot of infrastructure that maybe doesn't suit them very well. You know, we can't, we can't have elk herds crossing our major interstates, you know, that could cause a very, uh, detrimental, safety hazard right you want to talk about people being pissed at the odnr shut down 77 because because of an elk or you know pile up right or someone's you know family member you know gets in an accident with an elk i mean yeah people die from hitting deer and an elk's way bigger you know so well yeah and i mean just to i guess i without making the assumption, I mean, maybe we have listeners who aren't super familiar with elk and how they differ from deer beyond the size, but elk, I mean, deer don't run in herds like elk do. Um, you know, so like, yeah, deer runs across the highway and gets hit by a car, but that's usually one deer, two deer. Um, elk definitely herd up. And if a herd of elk starts trying to cross an interstate it's the interstate will have to close you know because it will be a pile up (laughs) you know so it's that's a little different it's not just a semi blast a deer and it blows up and sits on the side of the road it you know there's a lot of them and they all weigh north of 500 plus pounds so (laughs) yeah Uh, um but i guess kind of to get back into the topic a little bit and kind of my thoughts on it. Um, I mean, I could see, I see both sides. Um, I don't know that the ODNR does such a bad job of managing wildlife. I know that's a popular opinion, Um, but kind of play devil's advocate. If we did or were able to introduce elk, that is going to be a money driver. Even if we're not able, you know, because a hunting population of elk is a long way off. But even just to introduce elk as a tourist thing, the viewing, um, you know, like the one that comes to my mind is Pennsylvania. I mean, they have a very large tourist attraction basically around viewing their elk herd. And it's just people going to look at them and see them. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they're stealing, I don't want to say stealing, but they're taking a bunch of Ohio tourism dollars for people to drive into Pennsylvania to see the elk herds, which we could keep all that money. And the area of Ohio that has been kind of identified as potential elk habitat is an area that could use the influx of tourism dollars. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's a rule, which it has to be. I mean, it can't be a city elk won't survive in a city but it's the rural you know kind of lower income areas that could really use some of that revenue um and then if and when it ever did develop into a huntable population you want to talk about a money maker yeah for for permits you're saying yeah 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 a lottery because it had to be a lottery i mean there's no way around it absolutely gonna have to be a lottery so you charge for, you know, your lottery applications, your permits, your, you know, and again, if you kind of go with the same school of thought that Ohio grows big bucks, if we happen to grow elk just as well based on available resources, 
you know, if it becomes that our elk are bigger than everyone else's in the East, which I'm not saying they will, but if that happens, that's going to bring out of state tourism, hunting, you know, if we have the biggest and best elk, just like we have the biggest and best whitetail, it brings all those out of state dollars, which, so that, I guess what I'm trying to get to is if your argument is that we don't manage the populations we currently have, I would argue that maybe that's because we don't have all the financial resources we need to make all the adjustments to habitat to maintain them the way that you want them maintained. And maybe introducing a, I don't want to call it a novel species, but, you know, like a highly visible, highly people like elk people like to see elk they're kind of a mystic creature that's a lot of people you know it's maybe having something like that and those tourism dollars will help funnel that money then back into whatever it is animal that species that you don't feel is being managed well and i think whether that's grouse or whatever yeah and i think you know you sort of touched on whether or not Ohio is managing their current species well or not in the fact that, you know, Ohio grows big bucks, right? Like Ohio is, if, if big bucks is your metric of whether or not the ODNR is managing species, I would say they're doing a great job. Ohio is consistently in the top 10, if not the top five of Boone and Crock, Boone and Crockett entries for whitetails. So, I mean, if, if, big bucks is your measure, then I would say they're doing a good, you know, cause they could easily say, <clears throat> we're going to make it a two buck state. You can right. shoot two bucks and, you know, like you can in Michigan or, or, you know, and that would have a dramatic impact on the age class and quality of bucks in this state. If you're, if you're a uh, judge of, you know, whether they're doing a good job is, how many deer you see or the harvest numbers, you know, that's, that's a complicated, that's a complicated argument because there comes, you know, a, a a habitat holding number. Like what is a healthy number of deer? Just because the numbers are going down, maybe the numbers are too high. You know, you you can't just say, oh, the numbers are down. Harvest numbers are down. So they're not doing a good job. That's not a fair argument, in my opinion. Right. Maybe there's no, less I, hunters. Maybe the you know maybe we let the numbers get too high, and so the herd was at risk because it, it was unhealthily high, overpopulated. Right. right. You know, it, it's it's right. hard to sit here. Yeah, especially with the fear of you know the elephant in the room of chronic wasting disease, like an right. overpopulated deer herd is what spreads that much more rapidly (laughs) right you know it's known that that spreads through basically overpopulation and too many animals being in close proximity to each other um you know so yeah okay ohio decides we'll cut back whatever harvest numbers and our deer herd numbers explode well now we get chronic wasting disease and our deer herd cuts in half yeah you know, now, and now you've got all the, the craziness right. of like having deer tested and is this safe right. to eat? Should I feed this to my family? You know, it's like, right. yeah. And then that no matter what, that's all the ODNR's fault, no matter what they do. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. We, we kind of grew up or we're on the tail end of what a lot of people consider the glory days of whitetail hunting of the nineties. Um, you know, I bet I don't it, like like we've said on previous episodes too. Like it's not just we're not the ODNR is not just managing the deer herd for you and I as hunters. You know, there's agricultural aspects. They have a seat at the table. The insurance and automobile industry has a seat at the table. Like mm-hmm. it all. It's not just we need more deer so we can kill more deer so we can you know, whatever, sell more deer tags. Like there's a lot involved and it's a balancing act. And, you know, I mean, cities, right? Like you got cities, you know, mayors saying 
contacting the ODNR saying, my residents are furious that the deer keep eating their azaleas, <laughs> you know, like, right. You got to do something about this. Right. right. So, you know, that's where a lot of these like lottery hunts, county, you know, parks hunts or whatever come in to hopefully keep those numbers down and keep the deer people conflicts, you know, to a minimum. Right. Yeah. Also, the other thing you have to think about is not always is something that's good for one species good for another. Um, while, you know, like grouse habitat is also good deer habitat. Deer make grouse habitat go away. You know, they, you know, grouse prefer very thick vegetation, you know, overgrowth. And if you have a high deer population, they're eating all that browse. Right. You know, as high as they can reach. And now there's no grouse habitat. Yeah. You know, so you you there you have to balance multiple different species and what's good for this one may not be as good for that one. You know, so a high deer population is can be bad for the grouse population. Yeah. And right now I think the grouse population is probably the species that people are the most uh, upset about, that they sort of have a valid reason to be upset. I mean, our grouse population is, it's a native species and it's tanking. Yeah. You know, so people are concerned and they have a right to be concerned. Um, I mean, the ODNR is trying to to help. You know, they're, they are working on it. Um, but it, it is concerning. It's concerning to everyone, <laughs> you know, not just hunters, but it's concerning to the ODNR. It's concerning to bird watchers and, uh, wildlife enthusiasts, you know, in, in the state and yeah. a, a big, you know, one of the things that's kind of causing this loss of habitat you know, one of the contributing factors is overpopulation of deer because they're eating away all the all the cover. Right. Yeah. You know, so it's it's a balancing act as well that they have to to manage. And potentially with the grouse, uh, elk might help. You know, they they may restore that landscape back to a pre uh, extirpation of elk landscape and it'll create more of that you know they'll trample uh, underbrush and keep it you know keep it down and keep that underbrush there and um, eat eat the grass lands that are choking out the the growth of uh you know small like saplings and stuff and... yeah yeah you know they're because right now in some places there's grasslands that we've created that aren't really natural like right they're we created them and then let them turned them loose well that those grasses are basically choking out a lot of the the native shrubs you know they're just there's no light for them right so yeah. it's it's a balancing act and it these decisions are require a lot more thought than on at the face you would think that they require right yeah, I mean, selfishly from a, you know, from an outdoorsman hunter standpoint, like, yeah, bring them back. I'd love the the possible opportunity to hunt one as a resident of Ohio someday or, you know, my my kids to hunt one someday. But it's it's not that easy. There's a lot, you know, like you said, Jeff, there's a lot that goes into that decision and, you know where and how and i know there's you know there's been a study done that says yep we you know there's places in ohio that 
could support an elk population, but what's the ripple effect in it? Yeah. And at what cost, I guess? Yeah. Another thing to think about is, yes, it would be a great economic driver. Um, it would bring a lot of tourist dollars to to areas. People potentially wouldn't leave the state to spend those tourism dollars. But we have to find a way to basically kind of funnel those dollars back into conservation and not just into the state's coffers as a whole. You know, because it's going to be a big investment to put these elk there and we need we need a return on it where uh, right now there doesn't in my mind there doesn't seem to be a good way for the odnr to get a financial return the state will get a return but you know the state isn't the ones directly managing it you know because there there will be you know money you know being spent at restaurants and hotels and fuel and Mm -hmm. you know all of that so jeff you're king of the world how do you do this what do you do do you put like a elk territory tax in place or what how do we how do we do this probably yes um like a tourism tax in that area is that that would be my best guess as to what to do so like when you say a tourism tax like a a certain percentage of profits from businesses in that in that elk area would go toward elk conservation is that what you're saying i would like consumers the consumers would pay it um as a as a sales tax you know but like restaurants um lodging like the things that because I don't want to say fuel um, because that kind of seems to there's going to be a lot of people in that area that are consuming fuel that aren't can, you know, really consuming that resource of, you know, looking at the elk. Sure. But um, restaurants, lodging, things like that. Um you just add a, a small sales tax. Um, most large tourist areas already do this. You know, uh, I'm trying to think. Like uh, by the Smoky Mountains, Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, they they have a tourism tax that is paid as a sales tax, and most people don't even know that they're paying it. You know what I mean? Like it's just. Oh, you know, this is my total. And then with sales tax, it's this. Yeah. Most people don't even know that it's being charged to them. Do you Um, know if there's something like that that they've already done in Ohio? Are they already implementing some sort of a tourism tax somewhere in Ohio? I don't think so. But if 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 they are, I would assume the the only well, Sandusky. I'm trying yeah. to think of places that would really America's uh, roller coast. Right. The Sandusky area. I, I'd have to look, but they would probably be the uh the most likely candidate to have one. I know I've read a couple of articles that Sandusky is the city is struggling right now because of loss of tax dollars because of tourism. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're uh, it's it's hurting. Yeah, because of yes. Um it's hurting them right now. So, I I don't know if they have a specific tourism tax, but I I know that they heavily, you know, count on those tourism dollars, tax dollars. Sure. Um but yeah, that's probably the the best way to to solve it. Um you also should probably create some sort of industry out of it. You know, they should put a, a wildlife or a, like a nature center around that is 
got a gift shop and, you know, try to collect that kind of money too. Um, from the people that are coming. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, nature center, put, put a meeting space in there that can be rented so that that, that would be another good revenue stream for them. And also potentially creating their own, uh, lodging you know have the odnr having their own lodging okay all right well that's uh more to keep pondering on we'll we'll do our best to keep everybody up to date on that that elk situation in ohio or the you know the possibility of uh bringing them back so or like jeff clarified maybe not necessarily bringing them back but uh introducing a new subspecies of elk to Ohio. So anything else you guys want to touch on before we shut it off? I think that's all I had. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Well, if you guys have other questions, you know, like I said, send them to us. We'll do our best to answer them. And, uh, if we get a bunch more, we'll do our best. You know, we'll do another, uh, Q and a episode like this and answer them for everybody on the, on the podcast. So with that, thanks everybody for listening. All right. So that's going to do it for this week. Hopefully you guys are getting ready and, and fired up for bow season to open up here shortly. Hopefully you've been enjoying some squirrel hunting or dove hunting or early goose, you know, just enjoying your time outside. And as always, I just want to thank you all for, listening subscribing to the show sharing it with your friends and family that means a lot to us so with that i'll leave it there and we will talk to you next week thanks for listening Mm -hmm.